There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Hi, I'm Shaniqua McClendon, and this is Rigging North Carolina. Last week, we explored a case of election fraud. It involved a morally questionable, and that's being generous, political consultant by the name of Leslie McCray Dallas, who collected and remarked absentee ballots on behalf of then-Republican candidate Mark Harris. I'm not kidding. He literally stole people's ballots. So, as you might have assumed, that election kind of turned into a shit show, and there's a redo happening in September. I'm taking the month of August to look back at the scandal and why it matters in this upcoming election. In this episode, we're assessing how we even got the kind of toxic voting culture that would lead to this. To understand what happened in the now infamous election in 2018 and how it got that bad, we should start by understanding the Republican Party in North Carolina. To do that, I spoke to someone who knows North Carolina Republicans especially well, Representative Pricey Harrison. Representative Harrison has seen a lot over her 15 years serving as an elected official in North Carolina. She was first elected to the State House of Representatives in 2004. At the time, Republicans were in the minority, and finding common ground didn't seem so hard. Could you talk a little bit more about what it was like to work with Republicans when they were interested in in passing some of these policies that were, in your words, good for the state? Sure. It was um, probably out of necessity that Republicans were willing to work with Democrats. But there were areas where we had mutual agreement. I think that many of us felt like education incentives for teachers, the kinds of things that make North Carolina's education system one of the best in the country, um, interested interest in clean energy that mm-hmm. was creating good North Carolina jobs. We actually had, I believe we even had bipartisan support on um, on some of our, our our elections. Yeah. It was really interesting to uh, work together and work across the aisle to make stuff happen that was good for North Carolina. But my gosh, once <laughs> that 2010 tsunami hit us, it's been a starkly different experience for me and the North Carolina legislature. That tsunami she mentioned happening in 2010, she's talking about a period when Democrats were being voted out all over the country. It was especially bad in North Carolina. Republicans swept the state, taking control of both chambers of the General Assembly for the first time since 1896, which is insane. Representative Harrison was still in the legislature at this point, and with Republicans now in control, it made working across the aisle a lot harder. Things got even worse in 2012. They went from not only controlling both chambers, but they gained a supermajority. It sounds like a made-up concept, but it's very real. And it meant that Republicans could override any veto, opening up huge possibilities to pass their increasingly conservative agenda. Suffice it to say, it was getting a lot harder for Democrats and Republicans to see eye to eye. I believe the issues that came under most attack initially were environmental issues, uh, workers' protections, women's reproductive rights, and public education. And it was 
sort of uncanny. It was it was shocking at the level of which uh, they aggressively went after environmental protections. It was just setting up hurdle after hurdle and rolling back important protections on, on women's reproductive rights. They started cutting teacher pay. They turned down unemployment insurance at a time when our state was uh, suffering really badly from the um, recession. It's just, I've, I've got such a long list of what they yeah. did. But where North Carolina Republicans truly excel is in disenfranchising voters. Pricey saw this firsthand. In fact, she's about to mention a really big Supreme Court ruling called Shelby v. Holder. The 2013 Shelby v. Holder decision is super important for understanding the context around the fight to protect voting rights and in the voter suppression that we're seeing play out today. This was a landmark Supreme Court decision in 2013 that eliminated crucial protections from the 1965 Voting Rights Act. These protections were fought for during the civil rights movement to ensure historically disenfranchised populations weren't being denied their right to vote. So we had a like a 12-page voter ID bill after the Republicans took over. That was a that was one of their um, strong um, points. They wanted that. We sent that bill over from the House to the Senate. But the day after Shelby came down, that voter ID bill became the monster voter ID bill with like 48 pages and all kinds of limitations. But it came back to us in the form of a motorcycle safety bill. So uh, the whole process was messed up, and the substance was um, oppressive. And the Fourth Circuit threw out a lot of it. Um, Not all of it, but threw out a lot of it. That was the one removing African-American voters with surgical precision. Yeah, and I I think that's a perfect time for us to, to get into the monster voter ID bill. So Shelby County versus Holder striking down that section of the Voting Rights Act and being in the legislature, how quickly did Republicans move after that was struck down to put this voter ID law in place? I think it was the next day. So we passed a bill in the House that was much smaller and limited in impact. And they just were waiting for that Shelby decision to come down to expand it to include all the other rollbacks, which included things like early voting and provisional ballots and pre-registration of high school students. And there were all kinds of programs we had in place to expand the access to the polls. And they just rolled back every single one of them and then required this um, voter ID restriction that was based on limiting voters of color as Mm -hmm. much as anything. What exactly did Republicans do that was referred to as surgical precision. I believe what they did was they asked for the data on uh, voting districts based on race. And I believe it was voter turnout based on race and then designed policies that would have a disproportionate impact on African-American voters. And so early voting, there was uh, in the 2008, the Obama presidential campaign, there was a substantial turnout of African-American voters in early voting. That was a big push of his. And so that's why they rolled back access to early voting. Provisional ballots predominantly used by um, African-American voters and um, younger voters, the early voter registration in high school. It seemed like they were relying on data that was based on race and using it to formulate the components of the bill. Has it always been this bad in North Carolina? Have voting rights always been under attack or was there a time where things were good and people were encouraged to vote? We had some of the most pro-voter policies in the country and I would say definitely in the southeast. And um, at the time, we were one of the few that had uh, same-day voter registration, which also has been really important to African-American voters, but that we had expansive early voting, um, 
two and a half weeks. This provisional ballot option that was really important for folks who might have shown up at the wrong precinct uh, right before closing, expanded absentee ballot. And I feel like we in North Carolina had really aggressively um, pro-voter access to the poll policies. And they came over a period of maybe a decade or more mm-hmm. or, or two decades, but some of the best in the South and some of the best in the country. And, and also in, in, in terms of like nonpartisan el- el- judicial elections and publicly funded elections. So there was sort of this campaign finance piece that we were trying to address, too. And it was, um, I felt like some exemplary policies in the South, for sure. And then Republicans just came into power and said no more? Or was it after the Shelby v. Holder decision that you think they became less interested in creating those opportunities for voters? I think once they got elected, their um, radar, their crosshairs were on all those policies because it expanded the electorate and made it easier for African-Americans to vote. From their perspective, it may have made the demographic that elects Democrats uh, easier for them to get to the polls. Um, I mean, in a fair way. I don't mean Right. So in a fair way. So maybe if you can't win on message, why don't you just limit access to the polls? And I feel like that's what happened. We'll be right back after these messages. Crooked Minis is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there is there a something? God, the first sentence of that ad having a typo week after week, Elijah. Devastating. Let's start again. (laughs) It really is devastating. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Sure is. Get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. If you are not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time, no additional charge. BetterHelp has 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states with four communications modes, text, chat, phone, and video. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crooked Minis listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code Crooked Minis. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash crooked minis. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash crooked minis. Listen, you got Listen. shit going on. All right. All right. It's just ro- it's just rattling around up there. All right. Get it out. Talk to someone. Talk to somebody. You got to talk to somebody. There you go. Betterhelp.com slash crooked minis. We're going to come back to Representative Harrison in a bit, but before that, I wanted to get a better sense of how North Carolina Republicans were even able to foster this type of voting suppression in the first place. So I reached out to Mark Elias. Mark is a Democratic lawyer who has fought on behalf of North Carolina voters a number of times. He's literally sued entire states and even successfully argued in front of the Supreme Court. He knows a lot about how we got here today. So you're a lawyer and you've represented a lot of politicians. Could you describe what that kind of work is like and what it entails? Sure. So um, I chair the political law practice at Perkins Coie, which is a national law firm. And we have a group of 40 or so lawyers and we represent Democratic elected officials, Democratic campaigns, progressive organizations. And a lot of it is helping them comply with campaign finance laws. Some of it's helping them litigate close elections, and some of it is helping fight voter suppression and protect voting rights. Why do you think that we're at a point now where 
our lawmakers aren't enough to protect our vote and, and fight for voting rights for us and that lawyers are needed now to protect us? I think the answer is um, that you have to go back in time a little bit. From 1965 to 2009, there was more or less a bipartisan consensus in this country that voting ought to be easier and more accessible to people. It was not a straight line and there were definitely differences between the parties. But you saw during that time period bipartisan uh, reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act, bipartisan efforts at the state level to increase early voting and uh, no excuse absentee voting. And then following the election of President Obama in 2008, Republicans looked at the changing demographics of the country and the Obama coalition and made a unfortunate but a deliberate decision that it was no longer in their interest to make voting easier, but rather it was in their interest to make voting harder. First, slowly, they just put the brakes on some reforms and now very openly in the era of Donald Trump, um, the Republican Party is very comfortable putting up barriers to voting that target voters of color, young young voters, first-time voters, um, basically the constituencies of the Democratic Party and most importantly, the pieces that formed the Obama coalition in 2008 and 2012. So you mentioned that after the Obama election, Republicans made this deliberate decision to make voting difficult for people who weren't going to support them. Was there anything else that happened during this time that just kind of opened up an environment that Republicans felt like they would be successful in these endeavors? Yeah, I think two things. I think first, you can't understate the transformation that we have seen in the courts. You know, we have seen the center of the judiciary move decidedly to the right. And that's not just at the Supreme Court where most people have observed this and commented on it, but it's true at, at the intermediate courts, courts of appeal, at the trial court levels in the federal system, and also in, in many states. So the courts have become more hospitable to barriers to voting and less protective of the right to vote overall. That's one thing. The second is that Republicans, and particularly with Donald Trump as the president, have become very, very comfortable in doing and saying things in public that prior to this time, they would have been embarrassed by. They would have been embarrassed in prior years, uh, in a prior era, to pass laws that so obviously and blatantly disenfranchise young voters or minority voters. And that lack of shame around voting rights is one of the worst aspects of what of the era we're in and what Donald Trump has wrought on the country and what elected Republican means in this era. Something else that a lot of people point to are um, the decision in Shelby v. Holder. Could you talk a little bit about what that decision was, what it did, and what the response from a lot of states were? Sure. So I actually meant when I was talking about the moving of the courts to the right, um, Shelby oh, Shelby gotcha. County is a is a is a great example of that. So since the Voting Rights Act was first passed, we had had a provision uh, known as Section 5 that said that before counties or states that have a history of discrimination make change uh, in voting, a uh, history of discrimination in voting, before they make changes to their voting rules, they need to submit them to the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice can pre-clear them. Uh, and say, okay, that's a reasonable change you want to make. We're, that's fine. It's not aimed at harming minority voting rights. Or the 
county or the state could go to a federal judge in Washington, D.C. and say, hey, we think um, this change should be permissible. And that system worked. The Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized by Democrats and Republicans alike with Republicans from southern states voting for it. And it worked to prevent states covered by Section 5 from making voting changes that were targeted at minority populations, particularly African-Americans in the South, Latino voters in Texas and in, in, in other places. The Supreme Court struck down Section 5. And uh, more precisely, it struck down the coverage formula, which is the piece of the law that said which jurisdictions were covered by this preclearance requirement. It said basically that it was not constitutionally acceptable to target these southern states and other jurisdictions that had been subject to this requirement. So it had the effect of undoing the preclearance requirement. And the reaction that we saw immediately following it was a number of states, including in North Carolina, uh, Republican legislatures passing sweeping suppression laws. Um, North Carolina passed probably the most uh, egregious and breathtakingly broad voter suppression law, a law that ultimately was struck down by the Fourth Circuit because uh, it was found to be, in the words of the Fourth Circuit, enacted with, quote, surgical precision aimed at African-American voters. In fact, there was evidence that the Republican legislature had scored various changes to the law and chosen the ones that had the greatest impact on suppressing African-American voters versus white voters. But we saw states other than North Carolina enact bad suppressive laws, Texas, Arizona, Florida, you know, all enacted new laws once they were clear of the preclearance requirements. And those laws have had dramatic impacts on the ability of voters who are otherwise lawful to vote and have every right to vote. It has affected their ability to vote. So from what Mark told us, conservative courts and a Trump presidency have blown open the doors for Republicans to pass much more restrictive voting laws. And there's been no shortage of them in North Carolina. It makes sense that in this type of environment, election fraud would be the next logical step for Republicans. And so specifically talking about North Carolina, why do you think this state has been at the center of so many efforts to disenfranchise voters? And with that, could you maybe talk about other ways they've done this, like gerrymandering. The North Carolina uh, legislature is really almost without peer. When people ask me what state has is the worst on voting rights, I say that it depends how you measure it. But no matter how you measure it, you have to put the Republican legislature in North Carolina at or near the top of the list of the worst offenders of yeah. voter suppression in the country. And both the voting bill that they passed right after uh, Shelby County is an example of that. Their racial gerrymander that was struck down is an example of that. And, and frankly, their partisan gerrymander uh, is mm -hmm. an example of that. Uh, I can't speak to why a state that is otherwise relatively evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans. You have a Democratic governor. Uh, you've had both Democratic and Republican senators in recent years. The presidential election was very you know, has been relatively close. Why the culture of that state on the Republican side has been so uh, off the charts, I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's definitely unique in many respects. 
Yeah, I always tell people we have like a special kind of Republican in North, in North Carolina. They are like really smart, but they use it for evil. The other thing I'd say about that, by the way, about North Carolina Republicans is that there's like a lack of respect for rule of law that that kind of like dovetails with it. So they are not just partisan in the traditional sense, and they're not just sort of ideologically unfriendly to voting rights, but there is also this shameless willing to move the goalposts and change the rules without any limits. That brings us to now and the importance of this upcoming election. Dan Bishop is one of these Republicans who, if elected, will continue the trend of dismantling voting rights. The only difference? He'll be in the U.S. House, where he'll have the power to hurt the entire country. One person who can speak to the dangers of Dan Bishop is Representative Harrison. You got to work with Dan Bishop for the term that he was in the house? I did. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, my, you know, sort of main uh, experience is, relates to the House Bill 2 effort mm-hmm. and what that happened, what happened to our state as, as a result of that. Yeah. And, and could you just let people know what HB 2 is? Char- the city of Charlotte passed an ordinance that would allow for transgender individuals to use the bathroom they identified their gender with. So if you identified as a woman, then you would use a woman's room, um, even if you were born a man. So that precipitated this reaction from Senator Bishop, or Representative Bishop, then Senator Bishop, to enact legislation that would overturn that and uh, make it impossible for a local ordinance to provide that kind of protection and prohibit the state from doing that as well. And it had some incredible backlash uh, all across the country. Um, I mean, I heard about it when I was out of the country from people from... Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was just, it was a, it was an embarrassment and a terrible um, stain on our reputation as mm-hmm. a otherwise business-friendly and enlightened state. And we had businesses that identified that issue as the reason why they wouldn't come to North Carolina to locate. We had other businesses that, well, I mean, I mean, corporations, like hundreds to thousands of jobs that refused to come to North Carolina because of the House Bill yeah. 2. The thing that got the legislature's oh, yeah. attention was the NBA championship and the ACC tournaments that we were losing. It was the sports. It was sports. Oh, the, that, the all-star game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I there was so much backlash from so many different financial institutions, uh, employers, um, Employers that existed in North Carolina, like Facebook and Apple and others that were very um, friendly to the LGBT community, were sort of horrified. And um, it just, it really, I don't know that we ever completely recovered from that in terms of we don't even know what jobs we lost because companies wouldn't even, you know, wouldn't even let us know that they were going to come there but for. And we ended up passing a um, compromise, but it was, uh, it still didn't let local governments enact these protections yeah. and there were no protections at the state level right except for what i believe the governor did in an executive order but um it was a terrible period it cost our state a lot of money in terms of lost revenues lost businesses reputational damage but we actually like out-of-pocket money in terms of trying to defend it and, and challenges and um it was uh it was a bad move yeah and so i think i might know the answer to this but should dan bishop be in congress uh, he's not my choice. <laughs> I don't want to engage in any uh, ad hominem attacks on my former colleagues, um, but I I feel like Dan McCready would be a much better representative um, to represent the values of the 9th District, for mm-hmm. sure, and North Carolina values. Yeah. I think um, Senator Bishop uh, represents a very narrow, extreme element um, that maybe currently has a little bit more power than they should. We'll be right back. Crooked Minis is brought to you by DoorDash. 
What's the one dish from your favorite restaurant that you can never recreate at home? Ooh. What if someone brought it right to your door? <laughs> is it possible? It is now with DoorDash. I want those cheese fries from the Outback Steakhouse. I want cheese fries from all the places. DoorDash will connect you with all your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your Dasher will bring it right to you wherever you are. They like being called Dashers. Thinking back to a meal I had at an airport alone, at an Outback Steakhouse, Mm. where I got a Caesar salad with steak on top and a Bloomin' Onion. I was alone. I took a picture of it. What airport was that? It doesn't matter. Okay. Just Not only is that burger, it, it was after a road show. You guys were going to a different place than me for some reason. I think, that's why I want to know where that airport is so next time I go, I, I can Detroit. go to the Outback. I want emotionally, but I don't think that's right. Okay. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities and all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Or That doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities, all 50 states, in the U.S. and Canada. That still doesn't make sense. Leave all of this All in. 50 states in you Canada. You can get it in Canada, too, is what Door- we're trying to say. Doorda- you can get it in the United States. You can get it in Canada. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying it's at all 50 states across the United States and Canada. What? Anyway, you get it. You get it. If you're in Canada, download it. If you're in the U.S., download it. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code CROOKEDMINIS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the app store. <laughs> entered. There's a space there. That's five dollars off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Crooked Minis. Again, that's promo code Crooked Minis for five dollars off your first order from DoorDash. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. That time. Nailed it. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home: to move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So how did Dan Bishop even get on the ballot? That question brings us back to where we started last week with a story of election fraud. Dan Bishop is only on the ballot because another Republican cheated and got caught. Next week, we'll get into how Mark Harris got caught by talking to some of the people who were in the hearing room when all of the details came out. And it was clear from the beginning that, um, you know, this was going to be a fairly uh, contentious hearing. And it was also going to be one where surprises were possible because unlike your normal civil case where everyone's been deposed in advance and you have, you know, mutual document dis- uh, discovery. Here we were we were literally having witnesses called um, who, you know, I didn't know who they were. And we were looking them up as they were being called in some instances. Brigging North Carolina is produced by Elisa Gutierrez. Our engineers this week were Kyle Seglin, Alan Swenson, and David Maudlin. Daniel Carissimi is our editor. Special thanks to Kara Hart and Mukta Mohan.
It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.